Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to sidestep our series for two weeks. As we, close one, as we close one year and enter into a new one, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It is just after the book of Proverbs. If you find yourself in the book of Psalms, most of you can find that. Then turn a little bit more to the right and you'll find Proverbs and a little bit more and you'll find Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2. The close of a year, 2021, wow, just like that, snap your fingers, and a year is gone. That was a fast year for me. Man, you blink, and five years are gone, huh? I remember older people always telling me this, but I haven't really experienced it until just as of recent. I think my kids are doing it to me because I can see them growing before my eyes. And I can reference back to a picture just a year ago, and I'm like, this is crazy. You know, when you get older, you don't really change that much. Like 10 years will go by and you look exactly the same, right? For some. <laughs> And then, uh, but, but as you're younger, literally from year to year, you're advancing like five or ten years at a time as you would when you're an adult. And that's what's so magical about kids. You just watch them literally grow before your eyes. The earth keeps on moving forward. It keeps turning regardless of how we feel or what season we are in. You realize that? We're always projecting into the future and hoping for more. CNN put out a, an article I thought was really interesting. They talked about experts who made predictions from 1964, what they thought would be happening on the planet in our time right now. They did this again in 1964. They started to make predictions. Listen to how they predicted. They thought in 1980 that there would be robots as household servants. That's, that's 36 years. They thought uh, 40, yes, 40, 46 years. In just 46 years, they literally thought there would be robots in houses. In 1980, they thought that man would land on Mars. In 1995, they thought human lives artificially ex would be extended by 50 years. In 95, they also thought there would be automated voting. That's funny. 1998, um, they thought that 1998, they thought we would be able to directly record information to the brain. Neuralink stuff, which is being worked on now. 1999, they thought a military force would be on the moon. In 2000, they thought two-way communication would be happening with aliens, extraterrestrials. In the year 2000. By 2015, they thought long-duration coma would allow a form of time travel. They could put you to sleep for 50 years, and you'd wake up and be in a different time. 
By 2020, they thought we would be breeding apes and other animals for menial work. Hilarious. Trends change, locations change, seasons change, relationships change, careers change, but there are few things in our lives that shouldn't change, that we should always stay focused on. We should always be keeping the main things the main thing. And closing year is a great time to think and recalibrate all of that and make sure our priorities are straight. I titled the message today, if you're taking notes, remembering to keep the main thing the main thing. From year to year, you have to recalibrate the mind. You have to get it back set on what is foundational. What has God really called us at the end of all of this to do? What is the main thing in this whole universe? I remember watching a Netflix documentary titled One Year in Space with Scott Kelly, and he said the whole point of this life, this is what he concluded, all of this life is just to keep the human race continuing on. I thought to myself, continuing on for what reason? Just to exist? So generation after generation, we can hate and hurt each other. Keep evolving, evolving technologically but keep degrading morally. What's the point? Survive just to survive? What's the point? What's the purpose? Are humans the center of the universe or is God? This is the question. Your worldview determines how you preview and continue to view the world over and over again. And if the worldview is that there is no God, then humans seem to be the center focal point of day-to-day -day existence, and we should focus all of our energy on pleasing ourselves to get ahead. Survival of the fittest, baby. Get out of my way. I got to advance forward for my kind and my family. But if God is the focal point, if he is the center of the universe, oh, how the worldview changes. There may actually be right and wrong in the universe. There may actually be a time when we, we may stand before this God as we enter into eternity. There may be an actual way of life that he has created and designed for us to live if he, after all, is God and after all has created us and designed us as human beings to do th things a certain way. If he is the main thing who has made us, made this playground of the earth for us to enjoy. Maybe, just maybe, he has made us to have relationships with people. And the deepest relationship with him, and out of that relationship with him, we learn how to love in relationships, friendships, and with one another, society, family, and marriage. If you break down society to its finite, to the, to the very smallest point, you will find it is built on relationships. It's as simple as this. It is built on relationships with people. And I believe at the end of time for each of us, at the end of our lives, we look back. I think we move all the stuff out of the way. We've got a garage full of stuff. Who really cares? We think. I built business. Wow, it was great. I built this. Wow, it was fun. But in the end, each of these things are built upon relationships. 
and they make them value, valuable, I should say. They have value, obviously not stuff, but when stuff is attached to a person, it becomes a valuable experience. When business is attached to great people, it becomes enjoyable. And at the end of our life, if we have done all of this without good relationship, we don't care about those things, and it all is removed and simplified to these very things called relationships. And that's what old people think about when they're stepping into eternity. There are specific relationships that they think about. They cannot get away from. They don't care about the boat or the car or any of this stuff anymore. They don't care. Maybe they care about who it goes to, but once again, this is relationship. Interesting. Has God built us to be in relationship? I think so. If, relation, if he has not built us to be in relationship, why is death the most difficult thing on the planet for us as humans? When people close to us die, it is the most difficult thing to work through in life. There is nothing more difficult. If you have not experienced that, you may one day. And as you do, as you work through that, you realize how valuable people are around you. I am telling you that we have been made to be in relationship with the God who made us and relationship with the people around us. What are the two greatest commands? Love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all of your being. And what? The second is like it. It's the greatest command and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on those two commands. This whole thing, the whole shebang, the whole universe is based on those two commands. You can sum up the whole thing. This is it. Something so simple has somehow become complex. And I want to start our scripture today by looking at a man who literally pursued everything on the earth that L.A. wants, and he found it. He got it all. There was nothing that he didn't have. There was nothing that he didn't acquire. We're going to read through chapter 2, and I want you to just soak this in. I just want you to see it. And then I'm going to point out a couple things in this chapter, and we're going to look at two other passages today, and then we'll close. I want you to look at King Solomon. The wisest man to ever walk the earth, the richest, the most powerful. He had acquired more than anyone. He had everything. And he will list it for you right here today. He'll tell you what he had. It's pretty crazy. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to remember whose word we are reading. Not mine, it's his, man. It belongs to him. I can't change your heart or mind. Uh, I may be able to change it, but you'll just change it right back next week. So I need God to change hearts and minds. That's why we look to his word. We anchor in his ways. I need his word just as much as you do. And so we stand for the reading to remember whose word we are reading. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Take a look. Solomon says, he writes, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with gladness so that you shall see good things. And behold, it was too 
it too was vanity. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of gladness, what does it do? I explored with my heart how to stimulate my body with wine, while my heart was guiding me wisely and how to seize simple mind and folly until I could see where it is this good for the sons of men and what they do under heaven the few days of their lives. I made my, work, my works great. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made for myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools of water from which the, the water of the forest of growing trees. I, brought, I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem, bigger than anyone. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasure of the sons of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes asked for, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any gladness, for my heart was glad because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I turned to all my works which my hands had done, and the labor which I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no advantage under the sun. So I turned to see wisdom, verse 12, madness and simple-minded folly. What will the man do who will come after the king except what he has, al has already been done? And I saw that there is an advantage in wisdom over simple-minded folly as light, as an advantage over darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that the fate of one becomes the fate of them all. Then I said in my heart, as the fate of the fool, so will my fate be also. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said in my heart, this too is vanity. For there is no remembrance of these wise men along with the fool forever. And as much as in the coming days, all will be forgotten. And how these wise how the wise man dies with the fool. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is vanity and striving after the wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise, a wise man or a man of simple-minded folly. Yet he will have power over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored and for which I have acted wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart to despair of all my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his portion to the one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving of his heart with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his endeavor is painful and vexing. Even at night his heart does not lie down. This too is vanity. There is nothing better for man than to eat and drink and have his soul see good in his labor. This also I have seen that it, that it is from the hand of God. 
For who can eat and who can have enjoyment outside of him? For to a man who is good before him, he has given wisdom and knowledge and gladness. While to the sinner he has given the endeavor of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good before God. This too is vanity, striving after the wind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and what you have revealed to Solomon. A man who tried to carry water in his hands. And it bled through everywhere. He could not hold it. We pray, Father, that we would hold the things that are true, the things that are right, the things that are good, and that we would look back year after year, not in regret, but in gladness and thankfulness. We've honored you with our lives. We've honored you with what we have. Lord, minister to us through your word now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What an incredible chapter, huh? You should know some of the things bothered you as we were reading the text. He did what? He had what? Listen, he wasn't walking with God. This is what happened with Solomon. God came to him in a dream and said, Solomon, ask for anything that you want because you're going to be king of Israel and I will give it to you. And he says, give me wisdom that I can rule your people. And God says to Solomon, because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for gold or fame or power, I'm going to give it all to you as well. Now you think that a man of God like that, his dad was King David. You think he watched his dad worship. He watched his dad build instruments. You think that he would, he would catch on and say, hey, I saw my dad make some very terrible mistakes. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk with the Lord. Well, sadly, Solomon had to learn the, the hard way. He started to accumulate in all of the things which a king was not to accumulate in. Gold, silver, horses, and women. And he did this. And it came back to plague him because then he started living lavishly and basically pursued everything. He was a master builder. He built anything he could dream up. It literally says his pools came from the forest nearby. It says that he had servants running around, slaves running around doing everything for him. He built palace upon palace. It says he gathered the wealth. He had miners go out, and there, there was no uh, Discovery Channel gold mine you know, going on uh, in this day and age. The gold was, was endless. And they would go out and mine gold and silver, and he would just get as much of it as he can. He would go and then get the treasuries from all of the kings surrounding. He accumulated in so much. He, he, he grew in knowledge like you wouldn't believe. He was a walking encyclopedia. He absorbed all of the knowledge. All of the books came to him. The kings and queens of the world, like the Queen of Sheba, would come to him, and they would come and listen to the great Solomon. They just wanted to hear him lecture because he was so powerful regarding his mind. The wisdom that God gave him gave him the power and the ability to conquer all of the land and the territory. He took over everything. Anything he set his eyes to, he could have because of the wisdom. He was the wisest person to ever walk the earth. 
Now, it doesn't matter if you're the smartest, because information does not necessarily translate into effectiveness. Depth of knowledge does not necessarily translate into wisdom. Wisdom comes through experience. And the only way to get that is to live a long time, do a lot of good things and do a lot of bad things, and then discover, don't do that, do this. But what if all of the knowledge, I'm sorry, all of the wisdom of the world would be given to you in, in your teenage years? And you were wiser than any 100, 200-year-old year old person walking around. You have all of the download of all of these people on the planet. You could literally build any business. You can, you can conquer and do anything that you want. He literally had this. And how did he use it? He uses it for his self-pleasure. He makes himself God and says, I will take anything that I want. He multiplied in all of the things you did, you shouldn't. He had over a thousand women at his disposal. It says he has 300 wives and 700 concubines, or live-in prostitutes. Yes, the king of Israel, Solomon. So what he did was terrible and not good. He used what God gave him for wrong, and he had to wake up as an old man and say, what have I done? This was a waste it's really crazy because one of the things that really sticks out to me is that he says this. It really hit home with me. I don't have a lot, but I remember, I remember him saying in the text, he says, I worked all my life to accumulate and build all of this. I did all of the work, and I will literally hand it all off to someone else who did none of the work. They will get it all. All of my kingdoms, all of my gold and silver, all that I have done, I will literally give to somebody else who didn't do the work. He says, this is vanity too. What am I doing toiling? You see, it, it challenges us to figure out what is the purpose in this? What's the purpose in power? What's the purpose in money? What is the purpose in influence and fame? What is the purpose in accumulating stuff? Is, are they evil in and of themselves? No. It's not evil. It's evil when we don't use it correctly. Solomon used his wisdom and power incorrectly. He could have used it to do glorious things on the earth. He could have gave all his wealth away before he died and blessed so many people. He could have built, instead of kingdoms for himself, kingdoms for others. Blessing others, serving others, loving his God, causing all of the earth, with his wisdom, turning all of the earth, the greatest order maybe to ever walk the earth. He stands up and he sways anyone who comes to him. Millions stand before him and he sways them to worship the Lord their God because of the great wisdom he had. Instead, he turns it to worship him. He missed it. And he has some things to say to us in the end of all of this. He wants us to learn from him. He's like, please, I'm going to give you all of the wisdom that I can give you in a little bottle, in a little bag. Will you please take this and use this for your life? Don't go down the path that I went. The historical and theological theme here in Ecclesiastes, this Solomon, this king, this biblical wisdom of literature 
is a part of Solomon's own personal pilgrimage. The kingly sage studied life with high expectations but repeatedly bemoaned its shortcomings, which he acknowledged were due to the curse. Genesis 3. Ecclesiastes represents the painful autobiography of Solomon, who for much of his life squandered God's blessing on his own personal pleasure rather than God's glory. He wrote to warn generations not to make the same tragic error. Don't do it. Maybe you've already squandered some of life. You've still got plenty left. Sadly, generation after generation make the same error, and Solomon points out that he pursued pleasure, laughter, the best wines. He pursued building palaces, vineyards, forests of trees, pools, lakes. His house was full of servants to take care of everything for him. He multiplied in flocks and animals. He multiplied in gold and silver. He had entertainers to live in his home, to sing and dance for him. He multiplied in women. In verse 11, he says, Thus I turned to all my works which my hands had done and the labor which I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was no advantage under the sun. Striving after the wind, trying to grab it in your hands. It wasn't worth anything after he acquired it. And the same is true for us. After we get what we want, what happens? We want more. You're waiting for that Amazon package to come in. Two-day delivery, baby. They better not get it wrong. Three days, what? But it says two days, Amazon Prime. And then that package comes in, and you open it, and you're like, thank you, and on to the next one. It's very interesting how this works. Oh, L.A., Solomon learned of you thousands of years ago. He already did it. Been there, done that. Oh, if he could stand before us today and talk to all the rich and famous. Verse 18, he says, Thus I hated all the fruits of my labor. He says, I hated it. Bothered me. For which I had labored under the sun, I must leave it to the man who will come after me can't stand it it's true they people build a life of wealth and pleasure for themselves and never get to fully experience it i i'm astonished at this as well i've known older people who have built amassed a lot of wealth and then they get to 70 80 90 years old and they won't spend it they've been working so hard all these years to finally go on vacation and finally do this and finally do that, and then they just won't spend it. They just don't want to do it anymore. Their body doesn't want to do it. Their mind doesn't want to do it. They just don't want to do it. We work so hard for what? It has to be in perspective. It's really not fun unless it has value and depth. Relationship. What we are longing for is not more money, power, fame, and experiences. They are nothing on their own. You imagine climbing to the top of the pyramids of Giza by yourself and just standing there. You never get to tell anybody about it. You're soaking it in. There's not a single other person on the planet to talk to. You're just looking at it. What do you do with that experience? You soak it in. You sit there. 
You wish you could write it down so somebody else could read about it. You wish you could tell somebody what you saw, what you experienced it. You wish you could hold hands with somebody there on the top of that thing and soak it in, shout at the top of your lungs, but no one will hear you. To be alone, no one wants to be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. We're made to be in relationship. Things become extremely valuable when you are with those people you love. And these things are only useful when you see its purpose through the eyes of God. Uh, for the first year for us, Katie and I really got to see Eden light up and enjoy some Christmas presents. And Katie said to me, because last year she was a little bit younger and she still didn't fully understand what was going on. 5.30 Christmas morning, she comes into the bedroom and she She's smiling all big because the Christmas tree was already let up and we had put her gifts under the tree the night before and built them all out and set them up. And she comes in, she's like, it's Jesus' birthday and he brought me presents. I said, yes, that's right. And we get to see her just light up and Katie said to me, it is far more blessed to give than receive. It like finally clicks. I like gifts. My wife got me a really cool gift this year, and I'm like so stoked on the thing. I'm really, it, it's a hunting knife, okay, if you want to know. It's absolutely, it's something I would never buy for myself. And when I open it, I'm like, oh my, this is amazing. I mean, it's so cool. You got to see it. I'll show you sometime. But I like receiving gifts, but there's nothing like seeing my kids receive gifts and watch them light up. I get far more pleasure in watching other people receive a gift or be excited about something that I gave than me receiving anymore. As a kid, it was the other way around. I couldn't wait to open my presents. It's fun now, but man, it is far more better to give and receive. What is the point of money? What is the point of gifts? What is the point of these things? What's the point of stuff? Sure, you can accumulate for yourself and then enjoy it by yourself. No, it's so much more fun to enjoy with other people. Be generous. Be humble. But enjoy. Mikasa Sukasa. Enjoy my house. Enjoy what I have. Please enjoy everything that I have. Please, it's, not, it's worthless to me if we don't enjoy it. What am I going to do? Just keep enjoying it myself? I'm done enjoying it myself. I want to enjoy with my neighbors, with those around me. Look at the rich, sitting on a pile of power, money, and pleasure, and there's no one who truly loves them. No one to enjoy it with. That's what's hard about money. Hugh Hefner, yes, the guy who did the Playboy Mansion, he said at the end of his life, he knew none of these girls would ever truly love him. It was just for the money. Interesting insight. What seems, he had all this on the exterior, but inside, he just wanted somebody to like him for who he really is, not because of his stuff and his money. Does anybody really like me? Does anybody really love me? Everyone wants to be loved. Bill Gates and Elon Musk have acquired so much. Elon Musk is now worth $300 billion, the richest man on the planet. They say he will be the first trillionaire because he has five or six massive companies. 
each one the size of apple. They will eclipse the earth, no doubt, no pun intended. But he, when he dies, will have to do what? It goes to somebody else. It's a trip. What is the motivation in the end? You really do hope that it is for your neighbor. Solomon is saying, remove all this exterior stuff to see what really matters. Look at verse 24 and 25. There is nothing better. Here it is. The king, Solomon, is saying there is nothing better. There's nothing better than this. Are you ready? Nothing better. Are you ready? Nothing better, okay? Do you get it? There's got to be something better. There isn't. He already had it. He's trying to tell you. He's trying to tell me. There's nothing better than for a man, for a woman to eat and drink and have his soul see good in his labor. Enjoy what you have. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment outside of him? There's nothing better. The enjoyment that you are looking for is found in him. It's found in loving him and serving him and walking with him. And that allows you to love and serve and walk with those around you in a right manner. It's as simple as that. I never forget the story of the, the boat liner, the fishing boat liner man who walked up to the guy uh, with a little fishing pole and a stick thrown in, trying to pull in his fish for the day. He walked up to him and said, man, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you catch like 10 fish and then take it down to the market and sell them, make some money? He's like, why? He says, then you can buy a better fishing pole. He's like, really? He's like, then what? And then you could catch 20 fish the next day, and you can go and take that to the market, and you can sell that, and you can even buy a little boat. He says, well, why? He says, because then you can get in the boat, and you can get a little net, and then you can go out there, and you can round up 100 fish, and you can go sell that at the market, and then you make all this money, and then you can buy a little bit bigger boat. He said, well, why? He says, well, then, because when you, know, when you get the big ship going, then you can really get the nets going. You could bring in like a 1,000 fish. Imagine if you sold that 10 bucks a pop, you'd be making a killing every single week. He said, well, why? He says, because then you can get a boat liner like me, and you get a fleet of ships, and we go out, and we fish the seas, and we go, and we sell it, and I make millions. He said, why? I'm just trying to get some food for today. That's all I need. Being content in what you have. Being able to enjoy what's right in front of you. He was just stoked about getting the fish to feed the family for the day and maybe some of his neighbors. And that's enough. Content and satisfied in that. If you're accumulating just to build more, accumulating just to build more, accumulating just to build more, what's the point? You hope that that man would say, well, because now I've got my fleet liners and I'm making millions and I give it all away. 95% I give away every single year to all of those in need and I just live off of 5% because that's all I need. Interesting. Contentment. Money is not bad. Fame is not bad. Power is not bad. Remember, 
It is the way that we use what we have for God glory, God's glory that matters. Solomon says, enjoy the works of your hands. Just don't forget where it came from and what it's for. Hey, I love enjoying life. I love having a good time. Let's party. Let's have a good time. Let's hang out. Let's catch some waves. Let's, let's have a blast. Eat some good food. Relax. Enjoy each other's company. I love adventure. I love extreme things. I've always loved these things. But I love it with people. And I'm learning more and more the context of these things as I grow older. As I look back on 2021, I realize, man, that was a fast year. And what really mattered in that year? Back to the same thing. My relationship with God and those who are around me. So what? I have a little bit more. What's the point? Who cares if I don't use it to glorify God and bless those who are around me? Revelation chapter 2. Can we turn there? These next two passages are very quick, but I just want you to see them. They're helpful. They're important. You guys okay? Remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Revelation chapter 2. Are you there? Just start turning to the right. And if the book closes, you're too far. It's the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. Look at verse 2. This is the Lord Jesus speaking to the church. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. He says, good job. You have, pers you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Excellent work. But I have this against you, Jesus says, to this church of truth. I have this against you. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. But if not, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Who said that, Jesus? Jesus tells the church in Ephesus, you guys are bold in truth, but you have forsaken your first love. Your first love. The only comparisons I can think of are when you were first saved. First on fire for the Lord. It's when you fell in love. Maybe when you fell in love with the love of your life. You remember? Remember going to dinner, touch hands, you're like, you're like zinging, you know, you're like glowing. You can't even wait to be with that person again. You're checking to see if they text or they called. It's infatuated just thinking about them, that puppy love, that, that those first moments when you first fall in love. It's just magical. Jesus says to this church that they had abandoned the first love that they once had with him. You've abandoned the love that you first had. Where has our love for God gone? This is a relationship. You've got to talk to the Lord and walk together with him through life. This is a relationship. This is not a religious act. This is a relationship 
You're made to be in relationship with your God. And I'm sorry we have created so many mechanical structures of religion in which we feel we have to do all these rituals and things in order to reach this infinite being in the sky. But I am telling you, he desires relationship with his people. He says, I don't, I don't desire sacrifice. David says, if you desire sacrifice, I give you a thousand rams. But you don't desire that. What you desire is a broken and contrite heart. You desire us to just know you and walk with you and come humbly before you. If you want to know what God wants, go back to the Garden of Eden. Look at how he created man and woman to be in relationship with him. That's what he wants. He wants us to walk with him on this garden of the earth and just enjoy him, love him, love the people around you, and enjoy the playground of the earth. Micah 6.8 Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. It is to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's simple. How did Jesus love God his Father? Very simply, in a deep relationship with him, talking and walking with his Father. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus going off so often to go and spend time with his Father. The disciples are like, Lord, where are you going? He's like, got to go. See you guys. But there's like thousands of people waiting for you. Sorry, I don't have time for them. i got to go meet with my Father. He's always talking to the Father in relationship with him, walking with his Father. It's very simple. You pray and talk to God. Meditate on his word day and night. Walk with him in obedience. Talk with him. Walk with him through life and love the people around you. Again, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all of your mind. Don't abandon your love for God. Remember, repent, and return to him. You want to be back in the place that you were when you first started walking with the Lord or when your first love was fired up and awesome? Get back to doing the things that you were once doing. What were you doing when you were so on fire? Get back to doing those things. I have, I don't know, I, I think maybe etern an eternal perspective in my heart that I can never get away from, something that I experienced a time in my life when my relationship with God deepened, I mean, a thousand levels. It just kept going down and down, just deepening. And now I am, I, I am on a basically a never-ending journey to try to find that place of the garden again in the chaos of this city. Be quiet before the Lord. To walk with Him, to talk with Him in prayer, to be in the Word, just enjoying it because I enjoy it. Pick up a, the guitar and sing worship unto the Lord by myself when no one else is around. To really just love the Lord on my own in relationship with Him. And let that fill my cup. And then it just pours out onto other people around me. It changes my demeanor. changes the mindset. changes the way I treat relationships. Oh, I long to continue to try to strive back to that place. It's my first love. I remember it vividly. Don't abandon your God. Get back to that place, and then you will magically begin to love your neighbor as yourself. It's amazing how it works. Turn to Galatians 6, our final place. Galatians 6, 9. Some of you need to hear this. 
Galatians 6, 9, what a powerful verse. It's in the epistles. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Do not, are you ready for the command? Do not grow weary in doing good. You will reap if you do not grow weary. If you don't give up, keep doing good. Keep moving forward. Keep planting seeds of good. They will come up around you. And it even says, so then while we have the opportunity, I love this, while we have the opportunity, verse 10, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good to all people. What? Yes, all people. Just do good to all people. And while you have the opportunity, make sure you do it. Keep doing good in L.A. Keep loving your neighbor. Even that idiot driving on the freeway? Yes. I got to crank the classical music, you know, during holiday time. I crank it in my car because the music, it, 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 it lowers uh, my temper. It lowers my demeanor, okay? It's just like, you know, it's really hard to speed up and cut somebody off. And it's like, it's really hard to get ticked off when that's happening. You just, you just crank it up. It's amazing. And these, Lord, help me, please help me to do good to my neighbor. Then you wave, you know, you, you come by and the guy's all ticked off at you. You know, he wants to give you the birdie and you're like, hey, God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. He's like, you idiot. As we have opportunity, listen to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. He says, life is very short, but a great deal may be done. Our Lord Jesus Christ in three years saved the world, he writes. Some of his followers in three years have been the means of saving many and many a soul. It was a short life that Martin Luther had to do his work in. If I remember rightly, he was hard upon 50 before he began to preach the truth at all. A hopeful sign for some of you who have wasted your, wasted your younger years. So there have been men of 60 that have yet achieved a life's work before they had slept and gone on their way. He adds, after all, time is long or short as you like to make it. Time is as long or short as you want to make it. It's up to you. Let us do good to everyone. Listen, the closer you are in relationship with God, the easier it will be to love your neighbors, naturally. And this is why we've been placed on the earth. Isn't this what the earth is dying for? Everyone wants peace. But that peace only comes from a relationship with God. As we love God and experience his love, his grace, his providence, his blessings, his peace in our lives, we get to love our neighbors and point them to the God who loves us. We get to pour his blessings on them. This is the relationship with God. This is the reason he came. Romans 5.8, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners doing wrong, Christ died for us. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. 
But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel. This is the medicine for all of humanity. It's a relationship with the God who made us. Family, we need to make the main thing the main thing. Remember to keep it there every single year. Recalibrate the mind and the heart. The most important thing is not all the things L.A. tells you. Fame, money, success, power. If you get all of those right, but you get a relationship with your God wrong, you lose in the end. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? When you get all of these things right, when you get the number one thing right with God, then you get all the other things right. You understand again how to wield money, power, fame, success, anything that God brings to you. 1 Corinthians 10.31, legacy. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, please do all for the glory of God. Find a way to bring him glory in all that you do. His final words... Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, says this. Closing the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, everything in secret, whether good or evil. You don't got to worry about it. Leave it in his hands. Amen? As we close 2021 and enter into 2022, I want to encourage you, Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Keep our minds and hearts stayed on the Lord and you will remain in peace. And as we close the year and enter into a new year, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. The book of Revelation closes with this saying in Revelation 21.5. He who is seated on the throne, the Lord Jesus, he's seated there right now. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is what he says. Behold, I am making all things new. A new year, a new opportunity. He is making all things new again. I hope in your life and mine too. I want to pray and give us an opportunity to get things right with the Lord as we close the year and to prepare ourselves for this next year. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we submit ourselves to you. Oh God, we ask that you would heal the things in the past. Work on our hearts. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would bring forth repentance in our hearts, that we would return to our first love once again, that we would turn to you with all of our heart as we close this year. Lord, we would bury the past. We would praise you and worship you for forgiveness and grace and peace, and we would look forward to you making all things new. You would be our hope. You would be our rest. You would be our peace. Oh, Lord, prepare us for 2022. As we look into the new year, as we look over the fence, I pray, Lord, that it would be the greatest year yet for us in our relationship with you. Regardless of what's going on in the world, oh, God, would our relationship with you deepen. And as we deepen in our love with you, we would minister to those around us. 
Lord, help us keep the main thing the main thing. We need you. We yield to you now. We lower ourselves. We turn to you with all our hearts. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen.